The following audio is from the Grove Church Marysville campus. For more information about our church or to listen to previous sermons, check out our website at grove.church. Some of you did not know this, but there are treasure hunters in our midst. And I'm not talking about geocaching where you can get an app and find little trinkets around cities or whatever. I'm talking about like people who actually look up like where possibly treasure could be and try to travel to places and find it and stuff like that. And, and here's a story that I think must keep them going. And this came from January of this year, 2019. It goes like this. I'm just reading here. Adam Staples and partner Lisa Grace, both aged 42, unearthed the once-in-a-lifetime discovery of almost 2,600 coins that date back 1,000 years. The 2,571 silver coins are made up of King Harold II pennies from the end of Anglo-Saxon England and William the Conqueror coins after the 1066 Norman Conquest. Much of the impressive hoard is in mint condition and could be valued at anywhere between 1,000 and 5,000 pounds for each coin which puts the sum of the hoard worth almost $7 million. Another story, a little different than treasure hunting, but it goes like this. An elderly woman in France had the surprise of a lifetime last month, and this was September, so two months ago, last month when she discovered an old painting in her home had value. The painting was found in the city of Compagnie in northern France, where it had been hanging above a hot plate in the woman's kitchen for many years. According to the BBC, the woman believed that it was simply a religious piece with no real value. She was very wrong. An auctioneer spotted the artwork, which measures just 8 inches by 10 inches, and suggested the woman have a series of tests performed using infrared light to determine its worth. An auctioneer named Dominique Lecosent from Aceton Auction House initially valued the painting at $7.7 million dollars but it sold for $26,600,000 to an anonymous French buyer more than four times what was expected. Um, anybody in here watch Antiques Roadshow? Besides, yeah, I do too. I'm one of those nerds too, so just right, anyway. Um, I watch Antiques Roadshow, and, and I love what, how you know, people bring their trinkets, their things from you know, their house or something that was an heirloom or whatever, and they bring it in, and they have a professional in whatever area of artifacts or paintings or art or whatever um, kind of describe the piece and what they think the value is. And of course, the, 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 the whole idea is, let's just get to the value. Like, tell me, is it worth something? And it's awesome because somebody will come in and say, you know, I found this in my attic. It was something like... Like my grandma gave to me or whatever. And the person, the professional will say, you know, well, the paint is chipped and this is a really fun piece. But unfortunately, where the paint chipped, it says Ikea on it and it's worth about a buck 50, right? Um, because that's what happens on the show. Sometimes it's like, this is garbage basically. And other times it's like, yeah, this is probably worth 80,000 or 10,000 or, you know, whatever. Um, and so it's always intriguing to watch a show like that. But what happens is we, we begin to wonder, like, is there anything I own that's worth anything? You know, we kind of process this, like thinking around, like what's hanging in my house or what's in my garage, or is there anything in my attic? Um, and, and we're hoping there's some value to it. The Bible uses finding language in a few places. And in fact, it's Jesus who brings up the conversation in Luke chapter 15. If you've got a Bible, I encourage you to bring it with you and, um, and, and turn through the pages. But Luke 15 is where I want to land today. We're going to be in Matthew 13 as well, but um, the, the main area we want to land here is Luke 15. It says this starting in verse 1. Now the tax collectors and sinners were all gathered around to hear Jesus. 
But the Pharisees and teachers of the law muttered, this man welcomes sinners and eats with them. Then Jesus told them this parable. Suppose one of you has a hundred sheep and loses one of them. Doesn't he leave the 99 in the open country and go after the lost sheep until he finds it? And when he finds it, he joyfully puts it on his shoulders and goes home. Then he calls his friends and neighbors together and he says, rejoice with me, I have found my lost sheep. I tell you that in the same way, there will be more rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who don't need to repent. Or suppose a woman has 10 silver coins and she loses one. Doesn't she light a lamp and sweep the house and search carefully until she finds it? And when she finds it, she calls her friends and neighbors together and says, rejoice with me for I have found my lost coin. In the same way, I tell you, there is rejoicing in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner who repents. Verse 11, Jesus continued. There was a man who had two sons. The younger said to his father, Father, give me my share of the estate. So he divided the property between them. Not long after that, the, young, the younger son got together all he had, set off for a distant country, and there squandered his wealth and wild living. After he had spent everything, there was a severe famine in that whole country, and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to a citizen of that country who sent him to feed the pigs. He longed to fill his stomach with the pods the pigs were eating, but no one gave him anything. When, verse 17, he came to his senses, he said, how many of my father's hired men have food to spare? And here I am starving to death. So uh, he went and hired himself out to a citizen of that country. Uh, excuse me, fast forward here, my bad. When he came to his senses, he said, how many of my uh, father's hired men have food to spare? And here I am, sorry, in death. I will set out and go back to my father and say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired men. So he got up and went to his father. I know this is long, so bear with me here. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and filled with compassion, uh, he was filled with compassion for him, ran to him and threw his arms around him and kissed him. The son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, quick, bring the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Bring the fatted calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate. For this son of mine was dead and is alive. He was lost and is found. So they began to celebrate. Meanwhile, the older son was in the field. When he came near the house, he heard music and dancing. So he called one of his servants and asked him what's going on. Your brother has come, he replied, and your father has killed the fatted calf because he has him back safe and sound. The older brother became angry and refused to go in. So his father went out and pleaded with him. But he answered his father, look, all these years I've been slaving for you and never disobeyed your orders. You never gave me even a young goat so I could celebrate with my friends. But this son of yours who has squandered your property with prostitutes comes home and you kill the fatted calf for him? My son, the father said, you are always with me and everything I have is yours, but we had to celebrate and be glad because uh, this brother of yours was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. Jesus today, 
Help us understand what Jesus wants the Pharisees to understand. Help us understand, Lord, what you're trying to say to us today through a text like this, that the value of the kingdom is something that we really need to understand. In Jesus' name, amen. This whole situation that Jesus tells three parables comes about because the Pharisees are complaining that Jesus is hanging around with, with you know, tax collectors and sinners, with shady characters. They say, this man welcomes sinners and eats with them. And that's where Jesus tells these parables. The problem is this. There's a misunderstanding about kingdom values. And somehow these religious leaders think that the kingdom is about people that have it all together, people that are perfect, that we hang out with each other because we're not going to bring each other down. And how dare we hang out with you know the, the riffraff or whatever you want to call them. And that's their problem. And Jesus wants them desperately to understand the value of the kingdom. So he shares three different stories, one about sheep, one about coins, and one about a lost son. The beauty of these stories, though, is that they all come to the same point when you look at the end of each one. Heaven rejoices over found people is the lesson at the end of the first story. Heaven rejoices over found people is the lesson at the end of the second story, and same with the third. This isn't about that somehow, even people that walk in the doors today, you might think, I don't belong in church, or if you only knew what I've been doing, or who I am, or how much sin there is in my life, or whatever. And the point is not for those of us that would be quote-unquote church people to look down our nose at anyone else because somehow we're in a better state than they are. Jesus wants us all to understand the kingdom of heaven is offered to everyone. And heaven rejoices over lost people, so we ought to celebrate when, when people from other backgrounds walk in and yet they get to hear the message of Christ and surrender their lives accordingly. Kingdom values are people being found. I think of, of, you know, when you look at the story of what God has done through Christ. And you and I, as we honor God through communion, we stop for a few moments in our gatherings and, 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 and we'll talk about the broken body of, of Jesus and we'll talk about the shed blood. And that the fact is, the reason we do that is because it, because it brings us back to center. That for us, there's so many things in our lives that can get us off track in thinking other ways. And yet, when you look at the story of what God did through Christ, that's where you and I find forgiveness of our sins. Is anybody else grateful for that? That to have a new beginning, that to be forgiven of all of our mistakes, that for you and I to not have to pay our own price for our sin is an amazing thing that's worth appreciating. And yet, that's what we want for everyone. To realize that, that God sent Jesus Christ to pay the price for your sin and my sin on the cross of Calvary. That his body was broken for you. That his blood was shed for you. That, that, that salvation is found in no one else for there is no other name under heaven given to men by which we must be saved. That if you want to be forgiven, if you want a fresh start, if you want a clean slate, that's found in Jesus Christ and nowhere else. 
I encourage you with that simply because maybe you walked in here today and you're not sure where where you're at in this spiritual conversation. Maybe you've never had somebody say to you, Jesus Christ paid the price for all of your sin. He died on the cross. He was buried in the grave and he rose again, defeating the final enemy, which is death, so that you don't have to fear death because you're headed to an eternity with God when you get there. The simple fact is, that's where forgiveness is found. And if you want a fresh start today, if you want a clean slate today, I'm gonna make you that offer. I wanna, in a moment, ask you, do you wanna raise your hand and invite Jesus to be the Lord of your life? Do you want that new beginning? Because that's where it's found in what Christ has done for us. So if you're here today, and maybe you've heard this message before and, and maybe you've responded and since kind of done your thing and you're not sure where you're at in the conversation or maybe you're relatively new to church. Maybe you haven't heard the message like this before and maybe you've never had somebody ask you, do you want to invite Jesus into your life to forgive you of all of your sins, to give you a fresh start today? I want to make that offer to you and in a moment on the count of three, I'm just going to ask you, raise your hand and, and, and invite Jesus. Have that new beginning. If that's you, if you want a fresh start today, if you want a new beginning, maybe you've never made that commitment, but today you're going, I want life in Jesus. I believe in what he did for me so I can be forgiven. Or maybe you've done it before, but have since kind of done your thing and you showed up today for whatever reason, but you realize I need a new beginning in Christ. If that's you on the count of three, I'm just gonna ask you to put your hand up. One, two, three, where are you at? Okay, awesome. Come on, I see like one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, 9, 10, 11, 11 hands, 12 hands. Amen. Come on. That's awesome. Now, I I want to mention this, and and it's pretty simple. If you're one of those 11, I try to count my best. I see those hands that, that were raised. But if you raise your hand, I want you just to pray a prayer, and you just repeat a prayer after me. But here's the deal. This is not about some formula that's the perfect prayer. It's about you turning your life over in surrender to Jesus, to what he's done for you. So I just want you to pray and repeat after me. And if you've already prayed this prayer in the past and you've invited Jesus to be the Lord of your life, just pray with us. Okay, let's bow our heads. Just say, Jesus, thank you for what you've done. I believe you paid the price for my sin. Forgive me for all of my sin. Come into my world. Be my Lord. Be my savior for my own mess. I wanna start fresh with you today. It's in Jesus' name we pray, amen. Now, there's a party in heaven, the Bible says, over one. So if there's 11, I wanna see somebody doing backflips. But can we celebrate 11 people that just gave their lives to Jesus? Come on. That's awesome. Now, real quick, I'll come back to the message, but real quick, if you're one of those individuals that you raised your hand and you invited Jesus to be the Lord of your life, logistically, could you do me a favor and would you mark it on the connect card you should have received when you walked in today? There's a little box you could check there that says, I gave my life to Jesus. The reason I ask you to do that is because we have some intentional steps that we can you know, send to you, give you some info on steps you can take that will help you on this journey. But if we're not aware, we can't really help you as well as we want to. So if you would mark it and we turn those in at the end of the service, turn that in with it checked and you'll hear back from us this week helping you take a couple of steps. Um, I want to make a transition real quick because in Luke 15, when you read it, it's very much about the kingdom being offered to those that need it and they were found. Now, I want to take a look for a moment at Matthew chapter 13 because this is the other side of the story. 
If Luke 15 is about people who need the kingdom, then Matthew 13 is about people who found the kingdom but, but are getting punched in the face by its value. And I say it that way intentionally because Jesus is trying to make a strong point about the value of the kingdom in Matthew 13, verses 44 through 46. It says this, The kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field. When a man found it, he hid it again, then in his joy went and sold all he had and bought that field. Verse 45, again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant looking for fine pearls. When he found one of great value, he went away and sold everything he had and bought it. This has everything to do with for you and I understanding the value of this whole kingdom that we talk about all the time. We talk about the kingdom of God, the kingdom of Christ, what God has done, that we can enjoy God's kingdom on earth and in heaven. But I wanted to make a few points. I want to start at verse 45, where it says this, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant <coughs> looking for fine pearls. Let me stop right there and, and mention something. One of the greatest problems in our lifetime, and maybe this isn't new, and maybe it's kind of new, but one of the greatest problems in our lifetime is that we get so busy, we don't take time to consider what really matters. And this is not just for people that aren't part of church world or whatever. This is for any one of us. That's why one of Paul's warnings as he wrote to the churches, the apostle Paul reminded us that we're building on the foundation of Christ, but what you build matters. What he went on to say was you can build with, with, with wood and hay and straw, but that's not the right stuff because the fire comes, it's going to burn up. You need to build with things that are going to last. His whole point is this, we're all building some kind of life on the foundation of Christ if we've surrendered our lives. Be careful to stop and look back and consider what am I building? And so one of our problems is we don't take time to stop. And too many people get to the point where they're in their 60s and 70s and even 80s and they finally slow down enough to look back only to realize they've squandered their time. And that's where a lot of people will begin to look at their priorities, begin to change up what they've been doing so that somehow they can make the last part of their lives last. And I would challenge any one of us to stop and consider, what are you doing with your life? What are you building with the things that God has entrusted to you? We can spend our whole lives building a life that doesn't matter into eternity. And so I love that it talks about the kingdom of heaven like a merchant looking for fine pearls. What are we looking for in life and what, God, what does God desire us to be looking for? I mention the reading plan all the time around here and y'all probably just get tired of it and it becomes white noise. But what I love about the reading plan is if you take seriously the reading of Scripture, you will find thousands of verses that point to this whole picture of, of who God is and what God wants of us and, and, and God's desire and passion and plan in our lives. And I love that as you continue to read, it points constantly in the same direction. The whole setup of Scripture is that sin is a problem and sin causes this brokenness. But, but as it continues to, to build its case, what it does is it doesn't leave us groping in the dark, hopeless and, and, and lost. The beauty of what it points to is that there's coming a Messiah. 
And then as you continue to look at the story and you read about Jesus and we call it the Christmas story and you know Mary and Joseph and wise men and the manger and this baby and virgin birth and all this stuff, that's the picture of the Christ child, the Messiah born in a manger, the whole idea pointing to that's where you and I find life. That's where you and I find forgiveness. And 11 people just now said, yes, that's what I want and I love it. But keep in mind, from Matthew 13, what Jesus is trying to help you and I understand is that we need to value the kingdom of heaven through the lens of Christ being involved in our daily lives. The kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in a field or like a merchant looking for fine pearls, but look at what they do. The first one says in verse 44, in his joy, he went and sold all he had and bought that field. The pearl, when he found one of great value, he went away and sold everything he had and bought it. Do we look at the kingdom of heaven like that? Do we look at our faith like that? That there's a value to it every day. There's a need for you and I to filter through the decisions we make every single day. Is this building the life God wants me to build? Because as it points to the need for the Savior, what we find out is that he's the treasure. What we find out is that he's the pearl of great price. He's the Messiah. He's the one, listen, that Paul said, and you need to remember this, in Ephesians 1, Paul said he fills everything in every way. And that seems so vague that we're like, what does that mean? I'm getting there and I'll come back to it here in just a minute. But I love how, again, we have a location here, obviously, and then we have a location in Snohomish, um, our second campus, and we were collaborating on these notes, Evan and I, because Evan's over there speaking today at Snohomish. And Evan, I love it, he said it this way. How often in our lives do we think we need more? Do we chase things thinking, if I just got that, I'd finally be fulfilled only to get there and realize it doesn't fix anything. To finally accomplish that thing and still feel empty inside. The truth of the gospel, I'm reading from what Evan typed out. The truth of the gospel is this. The finished work of Jesus is all that we need. Everything else is gravy. We can be rich, and that's nice, but even if we're poor, we still have Jesus, and that's enough. We can be healthy, or we can be dying, but if we have Jesus, that's enough. It's been said like this many times, and I don't know who this quote came from originally, but it goes like this, and it's worth remembering. I didn't know Jesus was all that I needed until he was all that I had. I didn't know Jesus was all that I needed until he was all that I had. Nobody in this room wants to experience pain and loss to a degree that we literally feel like all I have left is Jesus. Nobody wants that. But the simple fact is part of the beauty of being in that place at certain moments in our lives of desperation or of brokenness or of trial is that when we get there, something beautiful begins to happen. Something beautiful begins to be made out of it. And what it is is a life that's utterly dependent upon 
Jesus all the time. The spiritual mathematics equation of the week as we end this series, and I could think of no better way to end it. Jesus plus nothing equals everything. And it's a weird equation because we always say, well, Jesus, well, plus my wife and plus my kids, love my kids, you know, plus the career and I love what I get to do and and plus the church and and plus this and, and that, I get it. But when you go back, Ephesians 1, and begin to understand in a greater way that Paul says he fills everything in every way is that it all starts with Jesus. And what Jesus does in our lives through his grace is blesses us in all kinds of other ways. But it's got to start with Jesus at the center. And everything that comes out of that is, is, is really up to him because he fills everything in every way. Paul said, the Apostle Paul, again, as he's writing, said this, he had a thorn in his flesh. And three different times he had prayed, God, take it, God, heal, God, do something. And it says that the word of the Lord came to him this way. He said, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in your weakness. Like I said, nobody wants to have to live in a place where the pain and loss or, or, or challenge of life is so desperate that it feels like, man, Jesus is all I've got. And I've only experienced about three times in my life that I can think of where you feel that, that pain to that degree. December 18th, 2002 was one of those days I was the youth pastor here at the church and we were having a Christmas party that night for students, and we had planned on having, I don't know, 250, 300 kids. We had a themed party where it was going to be uh, Christmas movie characters and, and just going to have a blast. And so here I am in my office here in this facility, and um, I get a phone call, and it was the Skagit County Sheriff's Department, and they asked me my name, and I told them, and they asked me, is this your sister's name? I said, it is, yeah. And they said, I- I'm sorry, um, she's been in a bad accident. And I was like, okay. So we don't, we don't really know any more than that. Let, let, let me call you back here in a little bit. And uh, about five minutes later, uh, they called back. And again, is this Nick? Yes, it is. Uh, I'm sorry. Literally short conversation. I'm so sorry your sister has expired was the way they put it. And, um, and I remember in that moment, it's just like utter, you're, you're, the world is spinning. I mean, you, maybe you, you felt those, those things before. The world is spinning and, and you, know, you want to, you know, what, what is going on? I don't understand what happened. Is, are you sure? Whatever. All this stuff goes on, and I remember from that day, and of course, you know, a Christmas party, whatever happened, leaders took care of it, but, but for, for a season there, obviously, it was a dark time, and you just feel the weight of all of that. Again, I, you know, it was the two of us, and, and then you all of a sudden become an only child, and you're, you're thinking all the memories. I don't say this to try to make myself look better than I am. I really don't, but I remember in that season, especially in those moments right afterwards, feeling like, I just need the Lord. I just need, I just want to worship right now. And that can be such a weird thing to say. And it makes me sound better than I am. It really does. But that's how I felt. That, that in the midst of the brokenness and the confusion, the hurt of, of, of all that that happened. And yeah, it was a while ago now. But I remember very vividly in those moments, all of that confusion and yet feeling like, God, I just need you. And it's, it makes me think of going back to a story I've shared before with the disciples, speaking of communion, like when Jesus is saying to the crowds, unless you eat my flesh and drink my blood, you have nothing to do with me. And they, like, they're leaving in droves, like what in the world? And he turns to the disciples 
And he says, do you want to go too? Do you guys want to leave too? And literally their response was this, where are we supposed to go? You're the one with life. You're the one with the words of eternal life. And for me, in, in, in those moments, I remember such a weird thing to think, God, I just need you, and God, I just want to worship. I just want to hide away and listen to worship and, and lean in because it's broken and it's confusing. I don't get it, and I feel sick. But there's a point in life for every one of us where that equation will punch us in the face. Jesus plus nothing. You feel the emptiness, the brokenness. You can't sleep. You can't eat. What's going on? Why? Jesus plus nothing equals everything because it goes back to that sentence I mentioned earlier. I didn't know Jesus was all that I needed until he was all that I had. I share it because there's something poignant about the challenge to every one of us. Are we really in that place that we're going to face whatever it is that we're going to face? And by the way, none of us is immune to it. If you're one of the 11 that raised your hand and said, I want Jesus in my life, don't think for a second life's always all of a sudden going to be perfect. All of a sudden just super easy and no big deal and you're going to face stuff. And you're going to have your world turned upside down at times. But don't ever, ever, ever forget. It was he who said, I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. That's a promise from Jesus himself. Jesus plus nothing equals everything. In the 1920s, there was a hymn that was written called, I'd Rather Have Jesus. And some of you in the room can remember it from the hymn book and have sung it in church. And some of the phrases I love, and I just, I just typed this out. Um, but it goes like this. I'd rather have Jesus than silver or gold. I'd rather, have, uh, I'd rather be his than have riches untold. I'd rather have Jesus than houses or land. Yes, I'd rather be led by his nail-pierced hands than to be the king of a vast domain and be held in sin's dread sway. I'd rather have Jesus than anything the world affords today. There's other verses, but I actually... Um, I remember that song, and I've sung that song plenty of times, but I was thinking back in my own life as a young Christian to the 1990s, and um, Matt Redmond, worship leader, wrote a song that we sang in youth ministry called More. And I'm just going to read some of these lyrics, but I remember this song like it was yesterday for me because it really did mean a lot. I want you to listen. Um, I'm not going to sing it. So, um, yeah. More than oxygen, I need your love. More than life-giving food the hungry dream of. More than an eloquent word depends on the tongue. More than a passionate song needs to be sung. More than a word could ever say. More than a song could ever convey. I need you more than all of these things. Father, I need you more. Goes on to say, more than a magnet and a steel are drawn to unite. More than poets love words or rhyme as they write. More than the comforting warmth of the sun in the spring. More than the eagle loves wind under its wings. And it goes on a couple more verses. What if you and I learn to live in a place that, that we're not entitled to a bunch of stuff? That we're not full of ourselves to the degree that when something happens, we're somehow, I don't deserve that. Instead, we begin to lean into our faith. 
that I've said for a long time, and this year this word maturity rings in my ears. What does it look like for you and I to walk in maturity, to grow in maturity? And I believe one of the greatest challenges for you and I is getting to the point where an equation like that can become reality. Not because I wish terrible things on anyone. Not because the, the trials are, are, are the best things because they, they bring out some of the toughest stuff, but because I really believe God wants us to live in a place where Jesus plus nothing still equals everything. Father, today, God, there are people in this room right now that are going through really, really hard things. There are individuals, God, that right now are dealing with loss, that are dealing with pain, that are dealing with divorce, that are dealing with, with, with trials of their own faith that are beginning to cause them to feel like they're sinking, cause them to feel overwhelmed by the mountain before them. But I am so grateful, God, that as we gather in a room like this, it's a reminder, Lord, you are still here. That even as we worship, God, the kind of love that you display as we read about a son who runs away and squanders a bunch of stuff, and yet there's a father still looking out on the horizon, waiting for that son to return, that for every single one of us, it's a picture of your love for us. Not only those 11, not just the 11 that gave their lives to faith today. I love that. I celebrate that. But God, for every single one of us, I pray we would continue to lean in, not because we always feel like it, not because it seems like things are coming together and working, but maybe even just the opposite, because sometimes it doesn't seem like they are at all. But what better place but to trust in Jesus? Jesus plus nothing still equals everything. Thank you for that truth in your name. Thank you for listening to the Grove Church Marysville Sermon Podcast. If you want to keep up with us, like us on Facebook, Instagram, or visit our website at grove.church.